Well, good morning, ZPC. Let me uh, begin as we have already, many have already said, but happy Mother's Day to, uh, to uh, those of you here who are mothers and to all of our mothers, since all of us have had mothers at one point or another. Um, you know, I, as I was coming into this Sunday thinking about this today, I feel, I feel a little bit bad um, because this sermon really has very little to do specifically with moms. Uh, and so I, I was feeling kind of guilty about it, not guilty enough to, to, to do another sermon by any stretch. But, um, but, but next, next Mother's Day, I'll do my best to try to have something to do with mothers, okay? And I, I want you to know that now because I know that otherwise some of you are going to be thinking the whole time, well, how is he going to tie this in with moms? And I want you to know I'm not, okay? So, so if you can see a way that you want to connect this with moms, then by all means, when you're leaving, please tell me. Somebody at the 9 o'clock did tell me how they, how they saw it weave in, and I thought it was a great idea, but I'm, I'm not going to do that. So, um, so just to let you know, but this is uh, the first of a kind of in our series, I'm going through Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians 4, uh, the church as we've uh, coined this. And of course, today we also, we get to have uh, our youth inquirers, uh, mostly sixth graders who will be joining the church today. And they are here this morning with us and we'll be doing that at the end of the service. So we are excited about that. But let's go ahead and dive in here to Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to look at the first 10 verses. Paul writes, I therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it is said, when he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive. He gave gifts to his people. And when it says he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the same one who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we come to you this morning thanking you for this opportunity to gather as brothers and sisters in Christ. We pray, God, that you would be with us even now that we would feel the presence of your Spirit. And God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. So this past week, I was doing some, uh, some premarital counseling with, uh, with a couple, and, uh, but I was doing it in, in Pastor Scott's uh, office, actually, not my own. And the reason for that is twofold. For one, Scott's got a, uh, a nice desk in his office, and so it, you know, I asked him to write things down, and so it makes it a little bit easier. And then number two is because of the fact that Scott's office is so much 
cleaner and more organized than mine. I mean, you know, if you've been in his office, you've seen it. I mean, it's just papers are, are just perfectly piled on top of each other. The books are where they're supposed to be. You know, and mine has like, you know, coffee cups who have been there for who knows how long someplace. And none of the books are where they're supposed to be. And it's just kind of a mess. And so it's not really very conducive to kind of sitting down and talking about having a wonderful, beautiful marriage. And so, so last Tuesday or Wednesday, I don't recall now, we were there and we were, we were meeting. I was meeting with this couple and, and I asked them to write some things down. So they were doing that. So I had nothing to do. And when you have nothing to do and you're in someone else's office, well, what do you do? Exactly. You go through their stuff, right? And so, so I was checking his calendar for this next week. He's going to be kind of busy, it looks like. And, uh, you know, going through some desk drawers, checking a few of his emails, things like that. And uh, anyway, so um, as I was doing that and as I was kind of looking around his office, I noticed something. I noticed a pile of cards. They look a little bit like this. And you may recognize this if you've been here for a few years. This pile of cards is, uh, was something that we did on February 24th, 2013, when uh, Pastor Jim Capps was here as the interim. And, uh, and it was the 30th anniversary of ZPC. And so uh, he, asked, he asked everyone who was there to, to fill out one of these cards uh, with their prayers and or their hopes for the coming years for ZPC, right? And so the ones that were in, uh, that were in Pastor Scott's office were uh, primarily um, um, those geared towards what people were hoping for for the senior pastor, right? And so I think Scott kind of hid them because he knew that if I saw them, I would realize just how disappointed most of you are right now. And so, so, I, so I looked through those, and as I looked through those, I realized that there was a, there was a bit of a theme. And, uh, you know, there are a couple themes, but one kind of stood out to me. And so I, I went. There are others that are back here kind of in the, in the nook of the, of the gathering space, and there are a lot more there. And I read through some of those, and I noticed as well that there was a particular theme that kept coming out. And so I'm going to read to you some of these here briefly. Uh, Unity in Christ. To find a new senior pastor and for ZPC to get out of the turmoil they are in. Uh, bring us a, a senior minister who will unite us and, and lead us in your work. Uh, a pastor will help us in, this, in the need we have for a cohesive church. Uh, one congregation not divided. For our congregation to stick together and stay connected. Church unity. Um, God's guidance in our ministry here and unity. Pray for cohesion in the church community. That ZPC will continue to be the light in God's world. That we will be unified through the Holy Spirit. I pray for unity and clarity, uh, that our church will, uh, will be in the community, or excuse me, unite our church, I should say. I'd like to pray for the future leader uh, and that uh, he or she may bring the church family together again. Peace and unity within the church. Love, unity. Become a closer community that uplifts and encourages. Uh, that ZPC will be a kind of community that we can be healed of our divisions. A sense of unity, common purpose peace and unity, sense of unity, to be able to uh, all work together in God's name, unity, unity within the church, unity and peace. Uh, This one was my favorite one. I think this has nothing to do with unity. It just says, no trouble for the next pastor, which I thought was very kind. Um, (laughs) Thank you for that. Um, Keep praying. Okay. Clearly, right? It's didn't take a rocket scientist to see that one of the themes in these cards was, you guys are good, was unity. And it's understandable. I mean, this was 2013, right? ZPC had kind of been going through some, some difficult times. But, 
But of course, the church has been talking about unity and the desire for unity for much longer than just the last two or three years. It's been going on since at least, right, the beginning of the church. And there's Paul, right? Because Paul here in Ephesians 4 is talking about the unity of the church. And if you were to look at the top five themes maybe of Paul, one of those would be, how can we be unified? Please, he says, as he says in chapter 4, he begs for unity. And my guess is that just as in 2013, that ZPC continues to long uh, and desired for us to be a united church, just like all churches. And so the question, of course, that that begs is, why in the world is it so difficult for us to have churches who are united? Why is unity so difficult to come by? And as I was looking over this passage this Sunday, or this, for this Sunday, there were three things, three points that came up. Now, I, I tend to not be a big kind of three-point sermon uh, writer, right? And I know that some of you are making, you know, remarks like, yes, a number of your sermons seem to be somewhat pointless, quite frankly. That's not really what I'm saying. But I do think that there were three things that kept kind of bubbling up as I looked at this particular passage. And the first thing that made me think about uh, unity and why it's difficult is, is, is what Paul says in verse 1. He says kind of remember, if you will, the, the, the work and the calling to which you have been called. Be worthy of the calling to which you have been called, right? So the operative word there is called. And one of the things it seems to me that we oftentimes see churches get into trouble and become disunited is when they have lost a sense of their call, when they have lost a sense that they are called to be in the mission that God has given them. In other words, that they are about more than just themselves. One of the images that I have, maybe I've shared this before, of church is that, is that everyone kind of has their arms around each other and they are walking forward together. They are following the Spirit of God. Whatever that mission is to which they have been called, they are marching in that direction with arms around each other. But one of the things that I have noticed is that when a church begins to forget that call. They continue for a while, at least, to have their arms around each other. But what they do is they end up huddling. They end up looking like a football huddle. And there they are, and they have their arms around each other, which is good, but they're just staring at one another. And one of the things that I am convinced of is if you stare at somebody for long enough, you will begin to find things about them that you do not like. Right? So, There they are, and they sit, and they feel like they're not moving very far, and they're staring at each other. And what happens is, all of a sudden, complaints start going up. They start This starts annoying them or bothering them. And before you know it, all of a sudden, all they're doing is talking about the things that they don't really like that much about the person that's there or how they think that they must be wrong on this particular issue or that particular issue. And there's no sense of movement. And before you know it, that huddle together becomes disrupted and people have gone in various and sundry ways because they have lost the sense of call. Because there will always be people that you don't like. But the question is, are we about a larger mission, a larger call that helps us to move together? That's one of the reasons why I want to continue to bring up the mission statement, the call of ZPC. What is it? called together by God, right? So that means called together, but not just called together by God. 
We don't stop there. But what? To make disciples and to release them for service into our broken world. In other words, we are on mission together, going someplace, wherever that call is. And that's significant for us to remember. But the second reason it seems to me, and this is very novel. My guess is you have never heard this before. The second reason why unity is so difficult to come by, are you ready? I can tell you guys are excited about this. Is because unity is really, really hard. Right? That's what I spend all week thinking about, right? Because it's really, really hard. Because all of us love the fuzzy notion of unity, don't we? All of us say, oh, just love it when we're unified. Oh, it's such a, a beautiful thing, right? Everyone loves to be unified, but the hard part that we don't realize or that we don't take seriously is what it takes for us to get there, right? So premarital counseling, right? I'm always doing premarital counseling, and whenever I do it, we always bring up what are your financial goals? What do you want to happen, right? And everyone always has, they know what their goals are. We, we want to be able to retire at some point. We, if we have children, we want to be able to pay for their college. Uh, we want to be able to go on vacations and, and and you can see the, the couple, and when they're talking about this, they're excited. This is going to be fantastic. I can't wait. And, and then we say, okay, that's great. Now, the next part is, what are the steps you are going to have to take in order to get there? And then, are you willing to take those steps? And that is the hard part. Thinking about the steps and being or considering, are you willing to take those steps? It's just like a diet, right? All of us can think about, right? Oh, this is what, you know what, man, I would love to look like this. And you get so excited, right? And so you go, but about the third day when you've woken up at five o'clock in the morning to go run and you're at lunch and you're having another disgusting salad, about that point, you look in the mirror and you start thinking, you know what? This ain't that bad after all, come to think of it. Right? We love the ideal, but we hate the work and the everyday work that it takes. We hate those steps. And which is why Paul, though, gives us those steps. He doesn't just say, hey, wouldn't it be great if you're unified? He says what? Here are four steps. He says you have to be humble. You have to be gentle. You have to be patient. And you have to put up with one another in love. And those aren't easy to do. Humility, especially in the Greco time of which this was written, was, was disparaged. You weren't supposed to be humble. It wasn't something you were supposed to do. And, and one of the things that, we, uh, that, that, that someone says about humility is, is one of the aspects of it is that it means that you are putting others' rights before your own. In our day and age, all of us, I don't care who you are or where you are, all of us, it seems, we want our rights and even the country, right? The country was built on what we call our 10 bill of rights. See these sixth graders, good. All right. The bill of rights, right? And so for many of us as Americans to start off by asking the question, what rights are you willing to give up for the other is a non-starter. Or what about the next one? Gentleness, right? Or meekness. And one of the things about gentleness and meekness is that you are willing to serve the other person before you are willing to be served yourself. Or patience, right? What about patience? I love what Ben Witherington says about patience. He said that patience is willing to 
uh, to, to, to uh, what the wording is, to be able to put up with other people who are irritating and who are annoying. Look at the person next to you and say, I am willing to put up with you. Yeah. That's the most feedback. Okay, that's enough. All right. Because the reality is this, right? The reality is that all of us, right, Megan? You're looking at me? I know. All of us are annoying, and all of us can be irritating. And if what you are looking for in a community is a community that is not irritating or annoying, then you are going to be in trouble. It will be a party of one. But what we're supposed to do is to say, not all to say that we would be willing to be with those who are irritating or annoying. Or the final thing, right, which is to be able to, to bear with one another. Or I love another translation that says, to put up with one another. And that's always something I remember my mother talking about when it came to my sister. You have to be willing to put up with her. And I know that she said it to my sister. You have to be willing to put up with him. And so again, the question is not really, the, the more important question is not, do you want ZPC or others, other churches to be unified. The real question is, do you know the steps it will take? And are you willing each and every day to wake up and to say, I will be patient and gentle and humble and put up with folks, no matter how annoying or irritating or how much I agree or disagree with them? That is the important question. Which brings me to my third point, which is, As Paul's writing in Ephesians 4, he keeps bringing up the word one. One spirit, one Lord, one God and Father of all, one baptism. But one of those ones in verse 4 is one body. And that is the one body of Jesus, which of course is also us. And it seems to me that a part of the reason why we struggle with being unified, why churches struggle with unity, is because of the fact that they have forgotten that they are the visible body of Jesus Christ to the world that is around them. And I have a suspicion that if we actually saw ourselves as the body of Jesus, as the one body of Jesus, we might be more reticent to divide than we have oftentimes been. Now, at this point in the sermon, what I really wanted to do was to show this great clip from the movie, Monty Python's Holy Grail. It, it would be a great clip, and you would love it, a couple of you, the sixth grade boys especially, probably. But as I was thinking about showing the clip, honestly, I thought about my wife. And, and when I showed uh, the clip of Jesus Christ Superstar a couple months ago, she told me that it had actually kind of frightened her a little bit. The 70s scare my wife, and understandably so. And so as I was thinking about this, is Mother's Day, and it can be a little bit graphic or gory a little bit. Uh, so, but I decided rather than showing you the clip, which I would really prefer to do, I will simply explain it to you. You, you did you say no? Okay. We have one less inquirer joining today for us. So you can close your ears. So here it is, right? It's a scene that if you've seen the movie, you probably know it. It's, uh, it's a scene where Sir Arthur meets... Uh, the Black Knight, okay? And so there's, uh, there they come. The, the Sir Arthur comes in, right? And they've got that guy behind him. It's got like the two, you know, halves of the coconut shells and he's doing the, right? Like the horse. Okay, you guys know? Okay, good. So anyways, 
So they go up, right? And Arthur's wanting to get past the dark, the, the, the black knight. The black knight's gonna, not let, gonna let him get by. And so he's like, all right. So they decide they're gonna have to have a sword fight, right? And so they, they begin having a sword fight. And, and this is where it gets kind of gory, but this is, it's all kind of like a farce. So it's not really as disgusting as it sounds. So I apologize. Again, this is not really Mother's Day, but so be it. So, so here they are. So all of a sudden, Sir Arthur cuts off the arm, okay, of the, of the, of the knight, of the black knight. And so Sir Arthur, of course, thinks, well, his arm is off, so now this is over, so he thinks, I'm just going to go on by him. So he says, okay, well, I'm going to move on. And the black knight's like, what are you doing? You can't move on. This isn't over, right? He says, this is only a scratch. And Sir Arthur says, a scratch? Your arm is off of you. And the knight says, I've had worse. And so he starts fighting them with that one arm, right? And so he's fighting, right? And this goes on for a little bit. And then all of a sudden, uh, Sir Arthur cuts off the Black Knight's other arm. And uh, so, of course, Arthur thinks, well, this must be over. And so he's ready to move on. But then the, you know, the, 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 the Black Knight says, no, you know, he goes, this is, t- it's only a flesh wound. And you're thinking, what are you talking about? So now he's got no arms. He's just got legs. So, so of course, now he's just got to try to go and kick, you know, Arthur, right? So that's what he's doing. So he's kind of kicking him, right? And, and so that's what he keeps doing. And I can tell this, those of you who have seen this. And so, so they keep, he keeps kicking him. And so finally, Arthur's like, all right. So he cuts off one of his legs. And so, so all of a sudden, the knight's just kind of hopping around on one leg, right? But he's still not letting him go by. So he's just trying to kind of keep him like this, right? And the, and the knight's like, I'm invincible. And you're like, what are you talking about? You've only got one limb left. And so, so then finally, the, so Arthur says, okay. So he, he cuts off the other one. And so, so he's just, he's just like standing on his waist, this knight is. And, and he's just there. And, 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 and he says to Sir Arthur finally, all right, we'll call it a draw. <laughs> it's a ridiculous scene. And there's no reason to share that with you, except I love the scene. <laughs> now, the reason why it seems to me that that is significant is because I think all too often the church today is the black knight. Jesus is the head, and yet we, it seems, have so willingly decided to separate ourselves from one another. So we've got an arm over here and another one over there and a leg over hither and another leg over yon. And, and we have no idea how ridiculous we must look to the world outside of us as we keep talking about how we're the one body of Jesus Christ. We act like our divisions are merely scratches or flesh wounds, when really they are so much more if you are on the outside like King Arthur looking at it. And we have no idea how ridiculous we oftentimes look when our words are completely disembodied from the reality of what we look like. And I have a feeling that if we really understood ourselves as the one body of Jesus, that we would be much less likely to give in to division and disunity and allow disagreements to separate us from one another. If we really understood how those divisions looked to the world outside of us, we might be more willing to be humble and gentle and patient and to bear with one another if we really believed that we are the one body of Jesus Christ. The reason why I wanted to talk about all that this morning, there are many reasons, but two that I want to share with you. 
Both of them have to do with our youth inquirers that are joining us here in just a few minutes. First, it always seems to me that whenever someone is joining the body of Christ, like they will be doing, it's good for us to remember why we are the body of Christ. But secondly, it's because whenever we have youth inquirers or children up here singing as we did with the Sunshine Singers, it, is always, it always provokes the question in me, how are we doing at passing down our faith to the next generation, to the children? Worship is good. Having strong programs is great. But I want you to know that all of that is undermined and is nothing and meaningless if our words and our actions are not aligned. We can talk about Jesus until the cows come home. We can talk about the importance of Scripture until they have heard it ad nauseum. But if we are not following words like Paul's words for unity, then it is meaningless. And we either need to stop talking about it, or we need to figure out if we are willing to take those difficult steps that are needed for us to be a unified body. This past week, I had the opportunity, Scott, me, and some other elders, to listen to, uh, to, to our inquirers. And, and, and we get to go in there in a group, and, and, and they get to kind of tell us about uh, the project that they've been working on, some of the, the questions that they have or that they've been working on. And it's always great, I mean, to hear about the gifts that these children have. They're always so much further than where I was, it seems to me, in sixth grade. And one of the things that I always like to do is I always like to say, please give us one question. Before you leave, ask one question because I always want to know what question they're asking because typically that tells you where kids are, what they're thinking about, right? And so, so usually one, somebody will ask, you know, what do pastors really do, right? And, and I always know that that's just because they've overheard their parents asking each other that, right? And so, so we ask that question. And, and, and like this year, one of the questions was, tell us about the dinosaurs in the Bible. How does that fit, right? And uh, it's a great question. And so I said, that's a great question. Scott, will you please answer that question? And so he did a great job. One of the questions that was asked, I think this is probably the very last question, was this. They said, this, this young boy said, who is the head of the church? Who is the head of the church? So I opened it up to Ephesians 4.15 that we'll talk about next week where it says that Jesus Christ, of course, is the head of the church. But the question that that then elicited for me was to ask you today, if Jesus is the head of the church, then who is the body? I'll ask it again. If Jesus Christ is the head of the church, then who is the body? You can join again now. Good. And my hope and my prayer in today and in the weeks and months and years to come is that there will never be any question as to who the body of the church is. And that we will be a people who know that we are called to be the one body of church that is on mission for the Lord and the body of the church who is willing to be humble and patient and gentle and to bear with one another, no matter what may come our way. That we will be committed to Jesus who is the head of the church and to us as the body of Christ.
that the world will know, that our children will know, that our words are not empty. Jesus, head of the church, we as the body, may we follow him now and forever as one. Hallelujah. Amen.